Good morning, everyone. It is so lovely to see you here, those of you here in the room and also those here watching us on our YouTube channel. <clears throat> it's good to be together. Um, my name is Chantelle, if you don't know me. And um, last week we concluded our Take Your Place series. And that has been such a valuable time together as we've thought about rebuilding all of us together. We all have a unique part to play in the body of Christ and in our community, in our everyday lives. And we talked about how to discover what that is. And to remember as well that when we take our place, we will face opposition. We might feel like we're not enough at times, but we're all wounded healers. And in my father's house, there's a place for me. And last week we responded practically. Um, we filled in this sheet, take your place. Um, thank you to all of you who did, it was super helpful. Um, and there's more of those outside on the welcome desk if you didn't get a chance to and you want to do it with your traditional paper. Also, hopefully you got it emailed out to you and you can fill it in online. But if anyone just has any questions left over from all those talks in that series, please, please feel free to come and talk to us. But this morning we're going to change gears slightly. And I just wonder, what have the past two years been like for your prayer life? What has COVID done for your prayer life? What's it been like, prayer and the pandemic? And I remember in 2020, which seems like ages ago now, a few months into um, this, I read some headlines and it was things like, COVID has woken young people up to prayer. And Christian Aid and Tear Fund, two charities, did some research about this and it showed that younger adults are significantly more likely to say they pray regularly than older people. And those young adults get a bad rap. <laughs> um, and that was from June 2020. And the survey showed that 18% of 18 to 34 year olds pray during the pandemic compared to 5% of the population as a whole. And of course, we all know so well that churches had to close down during um, COVID because of restrictions on gatherings. We all scrambled to start our services online. That was a very steep learning curve. And I actually just wanna take this moment to thank all the people in our church who stepped up, who learned new skills and who made that possible because I can assure you, if left to Paul and I, your online church experience would have been very different. So thank you to all those people in our church who just worked so hard to make that happen. So because church went online, it says a quarter of UK adults say they've watched or listened to religious service since lockdown, on the radio, live on TV, on demand, or streamed online. And it was also interesting to learn from this survey that quite a few people just like watched for the first time, but they'd never actually been to church before. So it seems like people and even young people who you might not expect were interested in prayer and they were checking out church. So I wonder what that was all about. Was it the fact that life was uncertain, everything was changing all around us? Did that cause people to turn to prayer? And it does seem like in times of trial or need, that is often what people do. I wonder if any of you know who this guy is. 
Yes, all you rockers out there will know it's Dave Grohl from the Fee Fighters. Oh, and Nirvana. Sorry, Sergey. Is he not from the Fee Fighters as well? Okay. Okay. I'm not a rock chick. I don't know these things. So, Dave Grohl from the Nirvana and the Fee Fighters, he admits to praying desperately when his drummer Taylor Hawkins overdosed at England's Fee Festival. He would walk back to his hotel from the hospital where his friend lay in a coma and he said this, I would talk to God out loud as I was walking. I'm not a religious person, but I was out of my mind. I was so frightened and heartbroken and confused. And I wonder if any of you know this guy. Not so famous. The war doctor, well done, Sergey. You get top marks today. So this guy is also called David. He's called David Knott. He's a trauma surgeon. In his spare time, he's traveled to places such as Afghanistan, Sierra Leone, Libya, Gaza, Iraq, Pakistan, all these war zones. And once when he was in Syria in 2012 during the war, a woman was rushed to the operating theater with severe bomb damage to her leg. If you're squeamish, close your ears for the next two sentences. <laughs> he clamped the artery to prevent her from bleeding to death and gently pressed a finger into the large hole above her knee joint. He felt an object, probably some kind of shrapnel, but strangely smooth and cylindrical. I can't even say that. He says, very carefully, I grabbed it with my fingers and pulled it out. I held it up to examine it and the Syrian helper took one look and went pale. He obviously knew what I was holding and blurted out a word in Arabic before turning tail and leaving the room. Sorry, I'm out of breath. Not in his anaesthetist locked eyes in panic. Was this some kind of bomb? The room fell silent bar the hiss of the patient's ventilator. The anaesthetist backed away and not felt his hand begin to shake so badly he was in danger of dropping the object. Then the Syrian helper rushed back into the room with a bucket of water and motioned for him to put the metal object carefully into the bottom of it. He later learned the word in Arabic meant detonator and it could have blown off his hand. The woman was injured when a bomb her husband had been making in their kitchen had prematurely detonated, killing him instantly. So that is the kind of things that this guy David Knott was facing. And a couple of years ago on holiday, I actually read his book called War Doctor, and it described loads of these experiences that he's had, and it was so moving. And from what he described, I simply can't imagine the physical, mental, and emotional strain that he must have been under at times. He was treating patients even when the hospital was being bombed and loads of the other staff were just fleeing. And I was struck by this part in the book where he described a time it was like he experienced the presence of God. And I remember whispering to myself when I was reading it, that's the Holy Spirit. But he was interviewed in Radio 4 and he said, I'm not religious, but every now and again I have to pray and I do pray to God and I ask him to help me because sometimes I am suffering badly. It's only now and again that I'm able to turn to the right frequency to talk to him and there's not a doubt in my mind there is a God. I don't need him every day, I need him every now and again, but when I do need him he's certainly there. Like part of me is like, you do need him every day, you can tune in. But you know, I feel like I need God every day and I certainly need to pray to him. And I think like we sang earlier, prayer is the native cry of the human heart. 
And that's where we turn to God. And of course, we need to look to Jesus. He was a man of prayer. And he didn't pray just when he was in crisis. I love it how Pete Gregg in his book, How to Pray, lists all these times Jesus prayed. Um, he, before he launched out in public ministry, we know he fasted for a month in the wilderness. Before he chose the 12 disciples, he prayed all night. When he heard the terrible news that his cousin John had been executed, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. After feeding the 5,000, of course he was tired, but he still, his response was still to climb a mountain to pray. When the pressures of fame threatened to crush him, Jesus prayed. When he was facing his own very death in the Garden of Gethsemane, bleeding, literally bleeding with fear and failed by his friends, Jesus prayed. And even when he was suffering torment on the cross that we just can't imagine, he cried out in prayer to the one who had apparently forsaken him. Jesus prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And after he rose again, Jesus commanded his disciples to follow his example. And as the church was born and the church grew, they all joined together constantly in prayer. And also as they followed Jesus, um, I can imagine as the church grew and more people came, it must have felt like a lot more pressure And how do we organize this? How do we do this? Speaking to someone who has to organize in a church. But they didn't just get caught up in the leadership and the activity. They still prioritize prayer over those pressures. And it says we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So prayer is everywhere. And a real, real relationship with God means walking with God daily like Adam and Eve did in the garden. It means talking with him intimately like Moses, as it says in Exodus, with whom the Lord would speak face to face as one speaks to a friend. And prayer is not just talking. Prayer is also listening. Prayer is like Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So prayer is talking and prayer is listening. And I was with a friend of mine the other day and her little girl just turned four said, isn't prayer just talking to God? You can do it any day, anytime and anywhere, which I loved out of the mouth of babes. Nicky Gumbel, who began the Alpha Course, he wrote the foreword to Pete Gregg's book, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People, which I have here. I absolutely love this book, and I am unashamedly stealing loads of stuff about prayer from this book. I think it's fantastic. But he said this, Prayer is the most important activity of our lives. It is the way in which we develop a relationship with our Father in heaven. Jesus prayed, and he taught us to do the same. Prayer brings us peace, refreshes our soul, satisfies our spiritual hunger, and assures us of our forgiveness. Prayer not only changes us, it also changes situations. God answers prayer, but how should we pray? How should we pray? That is an excellent question. And the thing is, there's not just one superior way to pray. There's no right way. There's no one way that's more holy than any other way. There's many paths to prayer, and I know that God will join us on the journey as we pray. And probably many of you will know how we pray changes over time. You know, as we grow older, as our situations change, different seasons of life, 
as we grow and mature in our faith, maybe as a job changes, family changes, things happen in our life, joys and sorrows, and how we pray changes. Maybe COVID has been really good for your prayer life. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe right now you're flourishing in prayer, you're really close to God, you're finding time with him is just coming naturally. Or maybe for some of you, it is a bit of a struggle. But wherever you're at, I just believe there's always more. Because the most important part of prayer is not the result it produces, but the intimacy it creates. In Luke 11, verse 1, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And we are going to be asking over the next few weeks, teach us to pray like, like the disciples asked Jesus. And when they asked that, he went on to teach them the Lord's Prayer, which we can learn a lot from. And indeed, that is the model um, that Pete Greg uses in his book, How to Pray. But I just wanted to look at something else first, because we're told here, before he taught them, it says, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And that is important for us to take note of. There seemed to have been certain places where Jesus preferred to pray. We saw earlier he left the house early in the morning, went to a solitary place to pray. Before he walked on water to the disciples, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. He also told the disciples in Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, go into your room and close the door. So it seems like place is important. And when the Holy Spirit came in, at Pentecost, it says in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then moments later, the disciples were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. So it's interesting that the Holy Spirit filled the house, the place, before he filled the people. Place is very important. And ancient Celtic Christians believed that the Holy Spirit can saturate places as well as people and described such sacred places as thin places. So this morning I wanted to ask each one of you, where is your thin place? Where is that place where you can encounter God? Maybe it's a certain place that you walk every day, or maybe it's a bench in the park. And last week, I was taking our dog out for a walk, and I bumped into an old school friend of mine who was also walking his dog. And um, we got chatting because he'd recently posted a photo of his daughter going to her first formal with the words, if anyone needs me, I'll be sitting in a dark room trying not to sob. I'm not ready for all of this. And we were laughing about it, exchanging teenage stories because our middle son was born two days before his daughter, just saying, hi, how has this happened? How are we parents of teenager, teenagers? Then reminiscing of what we were actually like as teenagers. Um, I said I was quite a good teenager, and he said he wasn't. So, But I said, well, there's no doubt that having good teenagers is very good for your prayer life. And he was saying to me, every morning I drive to work, and that is my time with God, and I pray for things. But I pray for my teenagers, and I pray that they'll make good friends and all those sorts of things. So maybe, like my friend, your thin place is your commute in the car if you're going to work. 
or maybe it's a certain chair in your house. Um, this is a photo I took in 2020. <laughs> have to get Marley into it, our dog. So in 2020, I used to come downstairs early and curl up on the sofa with a blanket, a Bible, and a journal. Sometimes Marley would stretch out and keep my legs warm. And it was just a really special time to pray and to read and to listen. And being honest with you, I've kind of got out of that routine a wee bit with life changing, things opening up again. And I feel like I need to be a bit more consistent. I need to find a more regular thin place. Maybe it'll be that same place. Maybe I'll do that more again. Or maybe it will be somewhere different. I actually know um, someone in our church. And when they were moving house, one of their things they were actively looking for was a special place in their new house where they could have a prayer space to come away and be with God. Richard Foster says, I urge you to find a place of focus, a loft, a garden, a spare room, an attic, even a designated chair, somewhere away from the routine of life out of the path of distractions. Allow this spot to become a sacred tent of meeting. And maybe some of you already know where your thin place is. Maybe you're imagining yourself right there, right now, walking or talking or praying, sitting, listening, writing things down. Maybe some of you have got out of that habit and need to return. Or maybe you need to find a new place with a new season. Maybe it would be good to find that place for the first time if you've never really had that. And also, I just wanted to say today, I really want this to be a journey that we go on together. So I really encourage you guys, you know, why not chat about this in your life group or with a friend, you know, or in your family? Share with one another, where's that place you meet with God? What's it like for you? Where is your thin place? And maybe if some of you are finding it difficult in the group, you can encourage each other and help each other. Or if someone's like loving life and really going for it, you can celebrate with them and be thankful for that. But let's do this together. I don't want it to be, oh, let's just hear some good words and isn't that great? So even if you don't really feel like praying, a place can be really helpful. It can make it easier. By showing up, we're showing our intention. You know, maybe we're saying, I don't really want to do this, but I'm going to be, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be here, Lord. And Pete Gregg describes feeling like that in his daily devotions and also when he's showing up to go to a 24-7 prayer room. There's been so many times he didn't want to be there, but showing up and being making himself available, often they're the times where God really meets us in powerful ways. And he said, after decades of night and day prayer, I've come to believe that 99% of it is just showing up, making the effort to become consciously present to the God who is constantly present to us. So being consciously present to the God who's constantly present to us, prayer is actually an invitation to intimacy. And I wanted to just kind of finish off by showing you a wee clip. Um, people in my life group will recognize it. It's part of the study we're doing called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And I have been listening, or ever since we watched this particular one, I've been thinking about it so much. 
It's based on Psalm 23, where God says he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And it's this guy, Pastor Louis Giglio. And I love how in this clip he shows how God wants to talk with us. And he's so delighted when we come to him. He's delighted when we spend time with him. So Jackie's going to work wonders and show us a few minutes of this clip. Right in the middle of it all, he says, Louis, I've prepared a table for you. Here, come, sit down. We're talking about the king of the ages, by the way. And imagine this, when he sits at the table with you and says, how are you? Are you thirsty? So good to see you. Really, really glad you came. I got an everything I could out of the kitchen. How's life? How are you? Think about the invitation that David is calling us to, that God is inviting us to. A table with the king. Yes, it's in the presence of the, stri of the strife right in the middle of the battle, but a table with the king. And we're going to see in this journey that we have an opportunity to do one of two things. We have an opportunity to accept this invitation to the way I want to call it, intimacy with the Almighty. Or we can make the mistake that a lot of us have made in our lives, and that is we can be so busy doing amazing things in our lives that we end up with only a drive-through with the king. It, it would look like this, and I know no one would ever want to do this, but can I borrow your phone just for a second? Um, it, it, it would look like this. Uh, you mind if I borrow your coffee? Um, it would look like this. So we would go, wow, this is incredible. The God of the universe, he wants to be my shepherd. He wants to lead me and guide me and restore me, and he wants to be with me and protect me and provide for me and anoint me and overflow in me. He's going to follow me. This is unbelievable. Are you kidding me? Are these ginger snaps? I love ginger snaps. Oh my word. Those are incredible. This is so good. I've got to let everybody know what's going on here. I need my Bible so people know that I'm spiritual. So I'm going to put my Bible in here and my glasses. I want to put them over here. Well, I like them over here. This is so good. This is unreal. No, that's not good. Oh my, this is so good. This is great. I'm going to put a little, little soft light on it. Hang on. Dinner with the king. Boom. I'm, people are going to love, people are going to love this. It's going to blow up. Me, me at a table with you. Unbelievable. By the way, thank you. This is, I, I, I have no idea. I'll, if I didn't have two, I thought I had a meeting, but I got two meetings this morning, so I've got a jet. But you're awesome. This is awesome. It's all amazing. Praise you, by the way. And um, I'll check back in with you as soon as I can. That, that, was, that was great. I hope you don't mind if I just took a to-go cup. And that's going to be the difference, I believe, ultimately, 
between whether or not we experience the freedom that is packed into those nine words. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And I know it sounds simplistic, especially if you've been around church for a minute. But the main way that I don't give an enemy a seat at the table is by taking my seat at the table and receiving the invitation that's being extended to me. Because there are a lot of things in life that you cannot control. There are a lot of situations in your world right now that you cannot control. But you absolutely can decide whether or not you want intimacy with the Almighty or if you'll be happy with just a drive through with the King. And I love how Jesus said it in His own words. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. So I feel like that's essentially what prayer is. It's an invitation to intimacy with the King. God has prepared a table for you. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. Even if everything around you is chaotic, even in the presence of trouble, even if it feels like enemies are right there, there's an invitation to talk and sit with Jesus. So it's really simple today. Will we decide to show up? Will we settle for a drive-through or will we take our seat at the table and accept the invitation to linger with the king? Um, I wanted to just finish each time by giving us like something to think about or a practice or a principle. So it's pretty simple this morning. The question is, where is your thin place? Will you find it for the first time? Rediscover it or keep going to your thin place, your place where you just spend time alone with the king. And let's join together as we journey together each week um, as a church family, asking like the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. Why don't you chat about it in your life group or with a friend and take your seat at the table prepared for you?